0: Welcome listeners to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. Thanks for listening.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and amateur boxer.
2: Ooh. Uh, this
3: is Dr. Mike J. Nelson, Associate Professor of the Kerrigan Institute created a flex diet and phys flex certifications and yeah i'll probably be running a flex diet mentorship again coming up too for people interested in more of the business and how to do online training from mindset to business to exercise
2: selection etc cool this is coach gerrell out of strength guild in alathe last the Last bastion of strength build training.
0: <laughs> he always gets that in. <laughs> he does, he does. <laughs> proud of it. Yeah, and this is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a food industry consultant, adjunct prof, former competitive bodybuilder.
1: There we go. So you had a study today you wanted to talk about, Lonnie. Caffeine and coffee, the differences?
0: Yeah. This is something that um I had posted on the ISSN. Uh, page. They have a Facebook group and I posted it on the Iron Radio listeners group. Uh, it just sort of fits. I mean, I have to be careful about confirmation bias. We like to hear things that agree <laughs> with what we think. But I'll, I'm not going to do the deep dive here with the I would pull in the full study and everything. I just thought I would talk about this one. It, this is from the independent uh, publication in the UK. Drinking coffee gives a quote-unquote special boost to the brain beyond its caffeine content, study finds. Now, let me preface this. this is, I think this is the, what's getting a lot of attention online. It can be interpreted in different ways. I've seen different related articles that say, oh, maybe this just means that coffee gives you more of a boost because of some placebo effect. Another explanation could be that it's the sensory aspect of coffee, like it's lighting up areas of the brain because this is all about functional MRI, you know, and the blood flow and the oxygen flow and everything to the different parts of the brain, uh, metabolic activity. So maybe it's sensory. I mean, there are things in coffee like uh, aromatic kinds of things like diterpenes and things like that that give the smell and the experience. Maybe it's experiential. Or from my perspective, it may be that there are other things in coffee that aren't caffeine, right? Because what these guys did mm-hmm. was they gave people they give habitual coffee drinkers uh, a cup of coffee, and I've been poring over exactly how they defined that, and I don't see it right now. But they gave them a cup of coffee, or they gave them caffeine and uh, caffeine pill, basically in hot water kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me set this up. It says. The boost people get from drinking a cup of coffee can't be replicated with plain caffeine reveals a new study that found additional areas of the brain are activated by the hot beverage. Researchers, including those from the University of Minho in Portugal, examined whether the wakefulness effect of coffee is dependent only on caffeine or if other factors are at play. They found that caffeine only partially reproduces the effects of drinking a cup of coffee, and they published this in a recent journal Frontiers in Behavioral Neuroscience. It says, while caffeine boosted areas of the brain that make one feel more alert, I mean, of course, Mike was part of a position paper on caffeine, (laughs) "Um, coffee brought additional effects on brain areas uh, that affect working memory and goal-directed behavior. Uh, Again, these were habitual coffee drinkers. They put them in an MRI unit uh, either before or 30 minutes after. They either did the caffeine and water or the coffee they actually did this during a relaxed state. Now I want to see this done because it affects like the readiness to move, if you will. I want to see this in a pre-workout setting, to be honest. But mm-hmm. because these guys were relaxed, it says consuming both coffee and caffeine led to a decrease in nerve connectivity in the brain's default mode network. So you could think of this like efficiency. Some levels of activity maybe it's good to go down, others it's good to go up. Anyway. Decrease activity in the areas involved with introspection and self-reflection. It says, however, researchers said this change could indicate people are more prepared to move from resting to working on tasks. However, they said drinking coffee may have additional benefits of increasing the connectivity in the brain's more advanced nerve network, uh, controlling vision, as well as working memory, cognitive control, and goal-directed behavior. And... Um, I might do a deep dive in this uh, elsewhere, but for right now, like I said, I think this is floating around with different interpretations. Uh, my thought would be that, yeah, there's lots of stuff in coffee other than caffeine, mm-hmm. like chlorogenic acid and other things. Um, I can tell you, I've seen direct studies where they fed people just chlorogenic acid and it excited areas of the brain and you know affected cognition and all that kind of stuff. So coffee is not just liquid caffeine, I'm fond of saying. Uh, but also i'm not sure i agree with the placebo effect if they are in fact pointing to this same study because this group does different similar work but if you're smelling the coffee and there's all these components in the coffee and that kind of stuff if that's going to boost performance as part of a pre-workout ritual good Mm -hmm. i don't look at that as like oh well this is just placebo in the fact that placebo is some kind of null effect and there's nothing special about coffee i would say well then placebo or not, whether it's inhaled substances, you don't just have to swallow it necessarily, in my opinion. You know, it goes up your nose. I've actually had students do research on this kind of stuff. Yeah, but even on a personal level, this reinforces the kind of thing that Fortress and I used to do, We'd sit around and split a pot of coffee and watch metal and just just try to get into it, you know, but I just think this is neat in that. Phil, you've heard me say this over the years and and you know, Mike, we you and I have talked about this too. It's just um Coffee, I think, is a good pre-workout <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> instead of just popping a pill. I think this reinforces that. So. Yeah. I mean, it could be as simple as, like, we
1: all know that, like, an ECA stack is more effective than one of those ingredients by itself. And yeah, there good just There could be other things in coffee that are, like, synergistic with each other, and we just don't, we're not smart enough human beings yet to realize it. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's hundreds <laughs> of
0: compounds. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, this sort of entourage effect, like you hear about with uh, cannabinoids and stuff, maybe there's something going on there. I mean, I think from the supplement world, there's been a ongoing sort of debate that, you know, do you want to standardize extract, like take one compound out of a herb and just concentrate the bejesus out of it and serve that? Or do you want the whole herb because yeah. you're, you know, it's not nice to fool with mother nature. You might get more out of the whole herb. So when I was a grad student, I was all about the standardized extracts. But, yeah, uh, maybe there's, yeah, there's something a little more uh, hippie to it, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, you, you hit a nail on the head right there. I mean, that's with the CBD versus whole plant, like big difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And well and they're proven more and more even with the cbgc stuff they want that it's like and the latest stuff i've seen is leaning towards full spectrum you know yeah and, and things like that like there's something else going on there with a lot of natural compounds that is beyond one ingredient that's in that compound mm-hmm. so,
3: yeah, the bugger um, is the unreliable companies that'll stuff anything into a pill yes, and then yes. put on the label that Well, you know, we didn't standardize it because it's the whole herb and it's some ground up like God knows what (laughs) that they put in there. So then how do you do you have to do a genetic analysis of it? How are you going to prove to other people that what you said is on the label is actually in there, which by law you're required to. But I just read a study the other day that analyzed some companies selling on Amazon. And they weren't really, I would say, top highly reputable companies, but. When they did analysis of just basic stuff like CoQ10 and things we can identify real well, some of the companies had nothing in the capsules. Some had less than 10%. I mean, it wasn't like you were off by a few percentage and you didn't do your overages right. Like, you were not even in the
1: ballpark. Oh, Lord. Yeah. We saw that
0: years ago with Vitamins and stuff with big brand brands. Yeah. yeah it's a whole nother problem about meeting label yeah. claims and that kind of stuff uh yeah. and you know it's relative to the coffee too it's part of the art and the crapshoot to all this like in finding out your pre-workout you know ritual or what you're going to consume if anything because i mean a cup of coffee what does that mean beans from all yeah. over the world roasted in mm-hmm. different ways ground up and brewed in different ways uh mike didn't you say once before that uh
2: you guys can't even use coffee and caffeine studies that often because each cup is so different Yeah, in terms of like the actual caffeine content.
3: Yeah. That's a pain in the ass of some of the research. And Lonnie's done this research obviously is that the caffeine amount compared to coffee, compared to anhydrous, compared to pre-workouts. So a lot of times in studies, they will, you know, try to standardize the type of coffee, but an older study from McCuster where they send a grad student to Starbucks every day for, like, four days in a row. <laughs> and they got, like, a medium grande. So they got the same coffee, the same Starbucks location, you know, within a two-hour window each morning for four days. And they analyzed it for caffeine content. And it was... I don't remember the range. I want to say it was, like, three... Was it something like... 350 milligrams was a high end. Like, 220 was a low end or something. Yeah, It was very Jeez. variable i mean it was if you look at milligrams like you you saw differences of up to 100 milligrams potentially yeah you know so it wasn't like a couple milligram difference it was a pretty huge difference and like lonnie said too that's that's not accounting for bean type grind type location brew method like this is starbucks who is trying to make every cup of coffee yeah. everywhere in the world Standard. the same mm-hmm. yeah whether you like it or not and so yeah, yeah. so for athletes like you know, yeah, I think most people, if you're using coffee pre-workout or whatever, I think that's fine. That's part of a ritual. I like that. If I'm doing something that's highly calibrated or especially with endurance athletes, we're using multiple doses and we want to try to replicate something. Unfortunately for that, I almost always use anhydrous caffeine because I know what happens. I made this mistake before. Guy goes to a race. He's like, well, I just got my double espresso from the local place. And then it's either no response or when they're caffeine sensitive, it was too much. And then, you know, it just kind of messed them up. So I just switched to using anhydrous caffeine for those particular places where you need to have a higher level of precision.
0: Yeah, my well, formulation yeah. Was, was Via. Via I, I gave Phil it. a couple of packs of that once, mm-hmm. right? It, yeah, not only yeah. is it strong, it's got like two and a half times the caffeine of uh, typical instant coffee, but it's p- plus or minus three milligrams in a packet. It's 164, yeah. I think, plus or minus three. And that's so much better than trying to brew coffee with, a, with any, like Mike said, any precision, you know.
1: So. I mean, that goes back to the problem with anything natural. That, that was the original problem with yeah. Vedra with ephedra was the hcl tablets they were standardized whereas the plant wasn't you know i mean one plant has a shitload one plant so you had people (laughs) accidentally or on purpose taking too much you know so yeah
3: this would be a good way to look at uh brewed decaffeinated coffee right because that may get at some of the other effects of the coffee mm-hmm. independent of the caffeine if they you know do a follow up study it would be cool to see
0: yeah that in fact the researchers said that i'm going to talk about <clears throat> this with a with a student on a on the nutrition radio podcast i think do a little deep dive here that doesn't bore uh, people but um that's exactly what they said that we really yeah. we're not accounting for other control it's you know it's like anything else in research as you know mike is what is the comparison you're trying to yeah. make and here they're just trying to say, what about caffeine versus coffee? And yeah, but then again, it, it opens up all these interpretations, sensory, other components. Uh, I don't think I agree with other people online saying, oh, it's, it's just a placebo effect that's lighting up all these other areas of the brain. Eh, I, I don't know if I'd call that a placebo effect. Um, I understand what they're saying, but it's like Don Anderson has said for a long time, and and Mike, you and I have used it in the lab, you really need... Three groups when you do coffee research. You need yeah. the coffee, you need the decaf,
2: because it's got ourselves. all the other
0: goodies in it. Yeah. And then you need the caffeine or or even just yeah. just water. Just even four. I was gonna say you'd need three or four. Yeah.
1: yeah. Need... Because I could see the placebo effect being huge if you had like just a decaffeinated yeah. coffee group, but people didn't know it was decaf. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you'd have to have caffeinated coffee versus decaf coffee versus placebo.
0: Oh like, like deception.
1: Cause... Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if you just told people we're giving you a cup of coffee and you gave them decaf. They'd still be jazzed. Yeah, yeah I bet they still. It's just like the people. If you tell, we've heard stories of like guys told them they gave them drugs, steroids, and they didn't. And they're like, dude was training his ass off and got jacked, you know, and I <laughs> gave him fucking sugar pills. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, so <clears throat> perception is a powerful tool. So yeah. absolutely. and
3: there was a Brand new study. I haven't read it yet. And unfortunately, I don't have the title in front of me about the, the neurobiology of the placebo effect that just came out the other day. So I'll have to find the title. I didn't pull it yet because it wasn't open access, but renewed research
0: in that area for sure. Uh, about five years ago, there was a paper they were using it with pain pills, but they were mm-hmm. calling it. It was like uh, we were calling it in the lab, the 50 percent anticipation, right? Because when you do yeah. a typical control group like a decaf coffee, it's still a special brown hot liquid so you're yeah. still like even when you're told this could be decaf or it could be real they still have 50 percent anticipation hey maybe this is the real deal I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go tear it up in the gym yeah you know, as opposed to water which there's no anticipation and man nobody wants to be in that group in a study <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah yeah so all right well we can move
1: on to the topic take a little break here and uh we'll be right back
0: Hey, everybody, Iron Radio is back and in an expanded way. What can you expect? Well, first, you can get it simulcast every week on the nutritionradio.org network as well as on the original podcast. It'll appear regularly on iTunes, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting sites. We have a new Iron Radio slash Nutrition Radio Facebook page as well. Please check us out. We're even backed up on YouTube. Second, Please tell your friends who are longtime loyal listeners that they may see emails that share just the episode link and the show notes. This is a new thing, and we hope it will build community. Third, if you are a supporting member in the past, we may prompt you to resume through PayPal. But we will confirm each and every donor before reinstating that membership category. We'll never just restart your $4 auto payments without agreement from you. And of course, we will accept new members moving forward as well. Starting back slowly and honorably is the goal. And lastly, expect the sister show Nutrition Radio to expand into once weekly 45 to 60 minute episodes with guest co-hosts covering the same nerdy nutrition news that's been broadcast for a few months now in daily 10-minute clips. We hope that an expanded presence will get you the news, education, banter, and guests that's made Iron Radio's community so loyal from the start. You are appreciated hi guys we're back what i wanted to talk about
1: today was i think we touched on it before but maybe go a little more in depth i wanted to talk about training through oh injuries or aches and pains and like there's there's various levels of them there's things that you need to train through there's trains you things you need to train around and then there's times that you just need to just don't do anything um and what's made me think of this is well i'm battling yet another injury but uh so, I tore my plantar fascia again. Oh. This time on the other foot. Oh. Doing, doing boxing uh, <laughs> while we were running ladders, and my big old ass probably shouldn't be running ladders like that, um, or at least ease into it a bit more. And uh, <laughs> it was on ex- exactly the last rep <laughs> of the last ladder. And oh. And I bounced forward. You know, we're bouncing around on our toes like freaking little bunny rabbits, and I'm a 250-pound bunny rabbit. But... Uh, <laughs> On the last one, it felt like I got hit in the bottom of the foot with a paintball gun or something. I literally thought something hit me, and I'm looking around for. It's like, nope. Okay, I know what that was. Oh, luckily it's. I've done it before. It's just a couple weeks of just. There's not much you can do for it. Uh, You know, they sell a little boot you can put on, whatnot. But so I mean, it got me thinking. So what am I doing? Like I didn't just stop training. I just find out each day what causes zero pain and i do that (laughs) like my highland games is out the window except for like this week i was able to uh, on our weight for distance basically it's a heavy weight on the end of a chain you have to spin in circles and throw it basically all i can do is cast it i can't do any spinning in a circle um and then i have a client right now who is basically he aggravated an elbow at his last meet which was about a month ago and uh it's been killing him ever since. And like every training, like I get is yeah. Training today. Elbow hurt a lot during this Trying to do this <laughs> instead. And it, I got like numerous of those in a row and it's like, it's probably time that we just don't do anything that hurts you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is what I suggest. And, uh, which is hard for people. Um, oh yes. You know, he's got another meet in like four months and it's making them realize that, you know, our best bet now at 16 weeks out is even if you just have to totally take time off, we're going to yeah. do whatever we need to do, whatever it is to get you out of pain. Um, because, I mean, that's the the big one for me with people is like, it's hard to be strong if you hurt. That's oh, number God. one. <laughs> number one, you need to be pain free because, I mean, that can be, uh, there's a time and place. That's not saying I haven't lifted through pain at a meet or something but that's a different area. I mean there's a there's a time and place for it. He's talking about basically what he's going to end up doing is you're going to instead of taking one, two, three weeks off however long it takes, you're going to stack together 16 weeks of shitty training because you never let this thing just heal itself. If that makes sense. And that's a hard yeah. thing for people to realize. You know, it's the whole, you know, two steps back to take five steps forward thing. So I don't know. What do you guys thought of this? And I have some other, like there's, there's different, just in my own life, I've had different ways, like there's different times and places like with my hip, for instance, I was in lots of pain. And so I finally, what did I do? Okay. It's time to get checked up and figure out what this is. So I went and got x-rays and MRIs and stuff. And it was like, oh, okay, well you're bone on bone in your hip. And then it's okay, so I met with the the orthopedic and he's like, Well, his suggestion was because I was like thirty at the time, go as long as you can. Because the hip replacements have a limited life. And he's like, You can't and I basically I just got the okay to keep going. Because basically what he said was your hip is fried and need replaced. You can't like fry it to the point (laughs) it can't get a replacement. No, in in eight years it's still gonna need replaced type of thing. Yeah. So there there's a different and that basically it gave me a, an orthopedic reason to okay, go ahead and push this. It's just pain. You no. Know? <laughs> there was no You work know
3: exactly right. what you're
1: doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. I yeah. can't hurt it more. Right. You know, and that's what you need to go get checked out. What is going on? Okay, here's what's going on. Can I hurt it more by keeping going or can right. I help it by not and
0: like I wasn't going to help it by stopping. It wasn't right. going to grow back cartilage. So Right. My my left knee is like that. I was yeah. going to ask you, Mike, about neural. In- how much of this is mechanical versus like neural shutdown? Yeah. You know, from, from uh, a lot, a, I lot. Think it's a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. mostly yeah. right.
3: So if this is another one of my pet peeves and why I don't participate in any of these discussions <laughs> online is the old school biomechanics only people are like, well, it's the it's the tissue itself. It's aggravated. It's blah 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 blah. And then you've got the sort of newer, new school, neurology-only people are like, no, it's all just in your head. It's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. The reality is, like, my buddy Adam Klotzek, who teaches the, the pain research course for the Kerrigan Institute, which is a great course, is that it's it's a neuro-biomechanical model. The answer is, it's it's both,
2: Yeah,
3: right? Like, no matter how much you believe in neurology, and trust me, I love neurology, I'm an associate professor for a place that does all neurology stuff, if you broke something and something's missing it, it doesn't matter right you, you have a mechanical issue yeah on the other side especially as you get into more chronic pain you can definitely have issues where they've done every imaging known to man like they mechanically can't find the single thing wrong and you can have absolutely blinding pain too so for me what i <clears throat> that's how i view it and what i look at then is if we can do something whatever that is whatever modality take your pick And within seconds, it reduces the pain that's probably more on the neurology side, assuming you're not just aggravating it. Um, However, long term, if we can make changes to how you're loading and things like that, then it's probably more on the mechanical side. So I'm always looking at both because I'll have people that come in here and they're like, you know, I've got this thing. This elbow has been hurting. It's been this way for, you know, like eight months, you know. I've gotten every scan known to man. I've been to the doctor, been a physical therapist. They say everything looks fine. It's great. If they can leave pain-free, cool. Then I know it was probably more on the ne- neurology side. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. Cause the reality is it's, it's both. And these discussions about, you know, which one it is and which one it's more of and all that stuff to me is just not productive.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, it depends on what part of the training cycle we are in yeah the further we're the further we are from anything the less likely i am to push through anything and i will usually regress stuff back to like the lowest version of the movement that's essentially pain-free so if we can like let's say back squat is giving us trouble, or whatever it is and and also when you go back down and build back up you can usually fix couple like technical errors that have developed like whenever you push to like new weights you develop new technical errors that are minor and you don't have to like fix them on the fly but if there's like a resistance or you end up with like some sort of ache and pain and you go all the way back to essentially like the beginning and kind of build back up then you can kind of fix it along the way a lot better without without a, a huge amount of interference from, well, I would just say the clients so like client themselves trying to like push through things. Uh-huh. Uh, so the further we are away, the less likely I am to like push through it. And so it kind of depends on the join. Usually I'll find a few exercises that we will build through. I try to give them targets. Like once we get to this way, even though this kind of gets depends on the client, because then they'll try to like force that exercise too, depending on who they are Hmm. so it kind of depends but i'm like once we get to here pain-free then we'll start reintroducing that and usually you can like you know it's almost better if you kind of regress everything back to zero and then build back up i actually learned that from uh uh sarah robles when she was in town because She said, like, pretty much after every big, you know, national meet, world's, Olympics, whatever, she, like, tries to relearn weightlifting Mm -hmm. and, like, Mm. start at zero and, like, start with the empty bar and go through all the progressions again. Um, And I've noticed that this helps quite a bit, like, going through and, like, almost is like a true way to refine your technique. Um, Now, if it's something like staying away from it altogether – like that is totally fine for me too but handling that emotionally with the clients <laughs> is always like yeah, yeah that's hard that's with know. all that always the tricky part but even for them i so i think people have this idea that like they they've pushed so hard to get to this point and that if they stop pushing mm-hmm. they'll just regress back to zero but it doesn't work like that. Like once you pave the road, the road is paved. Yeah. The road is paved. It might need some upkeep and stuff like that, but it's there. So it's there. We know it's there. We know you can hit this with, you know, X amount of training. You just have to trust that it's going to like it's there. You don't have to like keep paving the road over and over and over again. Like you have to just trust that it's going to be there. And give yourself time to kind of build back up. Plus, when you're pain-free, you're more likely to attack things than you are yeah. when you're in pain. You'll you'll essentially be on the defensive all the time when yeah. you're in pain.
1: Well, I was going to say the other hard part as a coach that we have to address is there's a variance in this and in little injuries in elite athletes versus the average person. Oh, yeah. Because generally your elite athletes – they understand that you're always in pain you know, <laughs> and they have a high pain tolerance. And they also like, it's also gaining that. And I've talked about this before lifting heavy maximal loads hurts. So you have to gain this. Was it strain or was it pain? You know, <laughs> And that's hard to ID at the beginning. Like new lifters don't even know what that is. Like you'll just put something heavy on them and it hurts. And it's like, no, that's how 500 pounds is supposed to feel. you know it doesn't it doesn't feel good and no that's a hard thing well and then with a with with high level athletes when you're dealing with people squatting eight nine hundred pounds like it fucking hurts you know there's like so it's hard for them to id when when it's it's the regular level of pain and something they need to back off from because it just fucking hurts all the time uh so for me it was like with my le- athletes that have been doing it a long time, it's a lot of watching facial expressions and body language. Like you're hurting, aren't you? Something's, something's not right. Cause that's a different level of that look on your face. That way you moved, whatever is different than normal, even though it's, you know, what you're doing in and of itself is inadvertently painful. I mean, but it's, it's looking for that and, and no one win to have clients back the hell off especially higher level clients. And sometimes with lower level clients, that's, that, that's harder because they don't have that. Like, you don't know, like, is this dude really in pain or is he just getting ready for a meet? Cause we've talked about it before. Like the worst I ever feel is like two weeks out from a meet. And that's what I tell people. I've had numerous people come to me, coach, I feel like I get hit by a truck. Perfect. Well, we're three weeks out. That's how you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, type of thing. Good. You're right where we want you. You know, uh, that's that's the tough part, because, I mean, what we're asking people to do, especially in strength sports is, is not normal. It's
0: not pain not free. normal.
1: Yeah. Right. It's not pain free and it's not normal. It's just like you talk to professional athletes like they're in pain all season. You know, they're never 100 you know?
0: percent. So, yeah. When that, in evolution, are you regularly doing something like squatting or even picking up? Something that weighs more than 500 pounds. I I, like the human body is not really designed for that. I wouldn't think, you know, it's outside of the normal requirements. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what, Phil, you're talking about how elite athletes are used to this stuff. Uh, I think age comes into play here too, you know, because when when you're older, especially, I think, you know, you're lifted your whole life and then you're in your fifties. Like some of the people I know, it's like, um, I'm always hurt. Like, so what do I, you know, how do I work around this? It's amazing what people are willing to tolerate sort of, you know, or dismiss. Um, I remember teaching pathophys and there was this case study about this person, you know, they had lymphedema. Their limb was completely disfigured with, you know, fluid retention, all this. And it's like, why did you wait so long? And this whole thing is, the lesson is people are willing to tolerate ridiculous things if they can find workarounds, Mm
1: -hmm. you know
0: and and it, it is a hard question like how much of this for me it's always is this age like i had to stop doing any chest or back work for this past week so i'm like i'll just work through it you know and then i'm thinking why especially i'm not i'm not getting ready for a meet or anything yeah. so i'm yeah. like you know i'll do arm work and do extra cardio and you know I, i'm not really working on technique per se like uh, olympic lifters and stuff that's a great idea i actually focus on technique or something but um it, it, it's a hard call and because oh, yeah. honestly, if you wait a few, a few weeks, yeah, I, I would argue more times than not things probably resolve if they're just minor niggling things. Like I know what's wrong with my shoulder. I mean, it hurts. I mean, you're talking like, you know, six, seven on a 10 scale. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it freaking hurts. Uh, but if I leave it alone, it's just one of those things with experience. I know will go away. I just, I got to stop yes. doing it. Cause I was trying to work through it and I'm like, all right, this, this isn't working. I'm going to end up with more damage than not, you know, but, yeah, I think age is part of that discussion, oh, too. Oh,
1: 100%. 100%. But it also goes in the other way. Like, me, me at 46, I am much less apt to do what I did now than I was at 35. You know, at 35, like, I got a torn labrum it's never been fixed, and I got myself back up to benching 405. I knew I'd just hurt every night and sleep would be rough and things like that. Now I'm like, nah, not worth it. <laughs> you know? I just yeah. don't my, my give a shit <laughs> Let's on get there is, is down Like is, I'm always at that point my People make fun of me I, I always just make sure I can bench 315 Like my last 6 meets I've benched a max of like 4 times Before each meet Because I know <laughs> if I just train it I'll hurt But as long as I can just do enough to maintain that I don't look like an idiot And that's just That's not saying that I'd look like an idiot If I went in and benched 275 But it's just a personal Standard strategy floor, you know, it's my floor. It's like, okay, as long as you can do that, you can do a powerlifting meet. And I still look like an idiot because I go in there and I squat like 770. (laughs) and and They're like, your fucking bench is 500 pounds lower than your squat. You know, but hey, it's like, whatever, I'm still doing it. So,
2: right. The only thing I would maybe add to essentially what we might do is and a lot of times it's like, I, I'm usually aware of it. And a lot of times weightlifting is the competitive side of things that I coach, but I'll look at like where the overall balance is in the program. And so in like, we'll say weightlifting, like internal torque exercises for the shoulder, like we don't do a lot of. And so if I'm noticing, you know, the shoulder elbow type of thing for us, like, sled rope poles where we're like pretty much biasing that with no eccentric and adding stuff like that in to get a ton of blood flow um finding finding those little you know imbalances in the programming itself i'll look for that and sometimes i'm you know i'm pretty aware of like what's going on because you know as we get closer to a actual meet like a nationals or something i'm taking out assistance exercises i'm mm-hmm. taking out all the balance and we are strictly focusing on the movements themselves but if i kind of notice that there's like some aches and pains like we can add it back in without you know skipping a beat all the time so sometimes i'll look for that like find something like that or um for us like grip and elbow stuff so usually that's um pronation type exercises that we'll start adding in kind of as finishers and stuff like that so if i see an imbalance i'll address that yeah.
1: Well, and so we, we talked about earlier. The other thing to figure out too is like, it doesn't mean usually an injury doesn't mean complete like bed rest. You no. know? That's like with what I'm doing right now. I know like I'm going to go in, I'm going to squat today. I'll do what I can that doesn't hurt. And then we're going to throw. And there's only basically what I've done is I've ID'd the parts that I can do. So it's like, okay, well I'm just going to work like working my cast with the heavy and lightweight causes zero pain. I can't do the rest of the move, but if I just do hundreds of those and try and perfect that later on, when I can do those, I've just spent lots of technique work in some little thing that might help in the long run. You know, you might get ahead by, okay, well, I can't do this. Let's just go ahead and concentrate on this and make this part really good. Um, There's always something else you can work on. It's like when I blew my biceps and things like that, it was like, okay, well, you know, I could sit here and cry or I can just work the other three quarters of my body (laughs) that don't hurt. I mean, it's just, it, it makes sense to me. Like it's don't quit focusing on what you can't do and put all your energy in what you can do. And at least those parts will go up. Uh, and then we can concentrate on bringing up whatever's lagging later. Once you can do that pain free. So, I mean, there's ways to keep advancing through an injury. So,
0: you know, there's an old stoic concept about not worrying about things that are beyond your control. You know, it's, it's yeah. literally irrational. Like if I can't do anything about it, my knee is l- like your hip was yeah. like, yeah, I, it's, I blew the medial meniscus. It's it may, it may not be straight on bone on bone, but you know, it comes and goes pain wise. And eventually I'm going to have to get a knee replacement, yeah. but I'm going to use it as long as I can. Yes. You know, especially cause I'm not, again, I'm not a strength athlete in, in the way that you know, you guys are. But, you know, you said something earlier, Phil, I just wanted to address quickly, which was uh, you got to go get additional diagnostic information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's even, what I was going to say right now. Yeah, and you and I would argue, like when you blew your biceps, made me think about when I blew my triceps, you know, both cases, right? Clean off the bone. Mm-hmm. I go to the ER, and longtime listeners might remember, remember me bitching about this, but, you know, they gave me ibuprofen to set me home. I'm like, <laughs> you guys, I tore it off the bone. Like, yeah. And so I, I called, uh, and it's good to have a network. I know Mike has a huge network of different kind of functional med docs and mudfuds and stuff that he leans into. Not everybody has that. But at the same time, try to get a referral to an actual sports mm-hmm. orthopedist. Go to oh, a yeah. sports med doc because otherwise they're going to dismiss you. They're just doing their job. I mean, you can yeah. you could take a dump on them and be like, oh, jerk, you know, you really misdiagnosed that. And, but, you know, when they don't do an MRI in the emergency room. I'm like, how are you going to know for what? So, yeah, I think you need whether it's blood work or usually in this case, mm-hmm. it's MRI scans, stuff yeah. like that. You need additional information before you can make a decision about I would better take X number of weeks off here, yes. you know, or go to a PT or or do whatever. Um I get it that sometimes they can't find anything, like Mike was saying, I'm not seeing anything structural, man. But yeah. I would say if you possibly can get a referral to a specialist, go do that. Get yeah. the information you need to make the right kind of decision. Because even if you're a physiologist or a trainer or a coach, no matter how good you are, you can't just start imagining things. You know, you need to have an image, <laughs> like an actual image that somebody knows what they're looking at to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, That happened with my wife recently with yeah. her spine. Um, literally the ER docs like I I think something might be off here I'm not sure and I'm like what like you're an (sighs) MD and they they brought in the sports orthopedists and and then they were actual spine specialists the one guy was and he's like oh I wish I would have just looked at this first it's clearly this this and this I'm like oh thank you you know because he had an image to look at and he knew what he was doing he was a specialist anyway no uh, but what
1: you're getting at there is like like I said with my hip or your knee or my knee and things like that. It's the definition of a problem is like a problem has to have a solution. Like, and that's what you need to find out is your solution. Like with my hip, it ended up not being a problem because there was no solution. It was like, okay, there's nothing I can do to make this better or worse aside from massive surgery. Right. So I'm just going to block it out. Like you can't hurt it more. You can't. And I, but I had to go find that out. I wouldn't know if I didn't go in. And then I was able to mentally shut it off. It was like, okay, doc says this, it's going to hurt, can't hurt it worse. Okay, I can go. Then I was able to, like, in my mind, because I didn't know before that, like, am I hurting myself by keeping training? Do I need to take time off? Is that going to make pain go away? Once I find out it doesn't matter how much time I'm taking off, you're still going to be in pain. Well, I might as well be in pain and be strong. You know? <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> so, better to get the info instead of get, yeah, worrying, yeah, yeah, Instead of just worrying. And then, like, like, with my bicep, I knew, okay, it's fucking blown. I just won't use it for six weeks, you know. So, but it's, you, it's those injuries you know. that you just don't know what the hell's going on. It's like eventually you need to go get information, mm-hmm. like find out what is wrong, and then we can ID, like, is it a problem? Is it, do we work around it? Do we work through it,
0: or or what? But we don't know that without going to see somebody. So, you know, I once had a physician say, "I'll tell you what, Lonnie," because I was waffling on something, you know, <clears throat> and and she said. When your symptoms are bad enough it'll bring you back to me you know and i thought well that's that's a really black and white way to look at it but <coughs> yep yeah it is true it's just that yeah some people if you're headstrong or you're less experienced or whatever it might be yeah you do need to think about what am i doing you know like it, it is toward what end Like electoral said you're not going to regress to zero yeah. You know, most well, people that are really experienced lifters, they could take weeks off. Are they going to lose a little strength? Yeah, but there's no way they're going to regress to zero. It's probably going to be good no. for them, you yes. know, uh, hormonally, metabolically, um, orthopedically, you know, all of the above.
1: And the age thing, I think that that's where I do agree with you. And it's because at, at this age in our training careers, we've had enough little things that hurt. And we know that eh, if you take two weeks off, I'll be fine. You know, we have that vocabulary with it. We know that we won't. Hell, we like Mike said, we might even come back stronger if it's only two weeks,
0: because um, our bodies are actually recovered for once. Right. And no, I've had don't that that enough. That conversation with my wife many times over the years. Like, well, what's what's the logical outcome of this MRI scan? And if I'm pretty sure, like, I was really sure with my ankle and my triceps, like it was torn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you turn black and blue. Like, yes. In exactly. A- 12 inch either way around that joint you know but what's the option you know it's surgery it's mega expensive protracted surgery uh and so yeah that's one of the things that helps me make that decision is if it's just niggling pain like my shoulder lately i know that that'll resolve i don't know how i know um it's not even important for me to realize—is it something more intrinsic to the joint? Is it my interior delt? I don't know. I don't really care. Yeah. But I know from experience that kind of pain is yeah. going to go away. That's yeah. not going to lead to catastrophic surgery, and I don't want to have to go pay for an MRI and everything because this is going to go away. Yes. You know. So there is that. Everybody's got to make some level of uh, judgment. I think. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. the, the safe advice to all of the listeners is, you know, just go check with your MD and get a referral to a Sports specialist, if you can. Yeah. You know,
3: yeah. yeah. Well, that's like you've talked about too, Phil. Is that I think that's the advantage of being older. Is yeah, you probably have a lot more mileage on the on the system. It's you know, age is obviously a component too, but mileage is a huge component. You know, compared to someone who started lifting five years ago versus someone who's been lifting for three decades, even if they're the same age. And then also knowing when to kind of strain under a load and knowing that that high amount of tension is okay versus not okay. I feel like for me, that took me way too long to learn. Because even now, (laughs) on a good day, you'll be able to be like, okay, yeah, I can finish this lift. I got it. It may look horrible, but I know for sure it's fine. There's no risk of injury. For other times, like, you know, on a deadlift, it gets two inches off the ground and you're like, nope, not there at all today.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and it's finding that vocabulary at those times where it's like, when to pull through that? When is yeah. it okay? Like there are there are lifts in, that I've taken in training where I'll just tell my partners to take it that yeah. I would not say that in the meet.
3: Yes. Yeah. Like, and that's training versus meat. meet.
1: Yeah. And I'll have them take it because I was like, okay, there's a 90% chance I'll make that, but there's a 10% chance something's blowing up. Right. It's not worth it in training. You know, no. in the meet, I'd take it. You know, it's like, go ahead and take it, guys. And they're like, what? You're moving fine. Nope. Something's wrong. You know? Yeah. And uh but that and like you said, that's a vocabulary that comes with age. That comes with just knowledge and age and the bad thing is in reps and the bad thing is, is I think it's like I don't know an elite level strongman or power lifter that like hasn't had major injury. Yeah. And I think it's just something you have to go through to get there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh it, it's a weird thing. It's just like training. Like we've talked about. Like when we all started training, we did stupid shit. But and so as coaches, we try and not get people to do stupid shit. But there's a certain amount of stupid shit you need to do to figure out your limits. You know, that's the hard yeah. part. It's like you can't skip it all. They they have to at some point. Like we all did that dumbass training where we're running the rack and we're doing multiple drop <laughs> sets and shit like that. Like you learn you learn. Okay, I can do that. Should I do that? Was it actually beneficial? Nah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, better sure when you're but,
0: young. You yeah, know, but when... <laughs> we know our
1: limits. Yeah, that's also how you learn. Your like, like most people that come into strength sports don't fail at a load. You know, they they don't physically fail. They mentally fail less because they just don't know how to pull it out. You know, mm-hmm. they don't know that the amount of strain they have to give. And it feels yeah. a lot like catastrophic failure. <laughs> you know, There's a fine line between really hard straining and real pain. And yeah. there's only the only way to learn that is through miles, man.
0: Well, it's the intangibles, right? Like, uh, Mike, like you said, you know, you start to pull in a barbell. And you're like, nope. At least a half a dozen times in my life, I've done the nope and walked out and a I, and I probably saved some catastrophic blowout. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and that's wisdom maybe, you know, it's, you might say, oh, you know, wimp, you know, especially in the bodybuilding (laughs) mentality, drive through it, push through it, you know? And, but no, I I think I, I, I'm pretty sure. And can I prove it? No. Right. Because if I saved something, maybe a few weeks went by and I got enough protein and collagen and vitamin C or whatever in me and I recovered and I, you know, um, but had I done it that day it would have been real ugly. And so I I don't know how to teach that. Like you said, like, I like the term vocabulary that Mm -hmm. you used, you know, it becomes part of your vocabulary and you're like, nope, because anybody who'd be like, even if you're there with a training partner now that that's a little bit extra responsibility, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, listen, I I don't know. I'm just, something's telling me, no, I'm going to say no. And unless you're doing that monthly, that's a problem probably. Yeah. But you know, you can't make it an excuse either, but I, I do think that that's, um, that is part of the vocabulary you learn. Yeah. And the only
3: one thing I have noticed that I wish I would have known earlier is that if the person's movement overall and like a subconscious movement like gait or running is good, at least in my experience, it appears they can strain much more safely under load. If their gait or their underlying movement is kind of off a little bit, and there's obviously huge exceptions to this from their norm. Yeah, in those days, I get really nervous about them straining.
0: So I'll watch
3: them. Like when I trained people in the gym, I used to, they thought I was some weird hydration person because I'd tell them to go get a drink of water all the time. And it was just an excuse to watch them walk without <laughs> thinking someone's watching them. And you'd see them kind of, oh, the right hip's not doing extension. And okay, let's change this. And then. If the, we kept going up in load and their gate pattern, everything stayed pretty good, then I I felt more confident and safe that it's probably going to go okay. And, again, sometimes it just goes right off a cliff and there anything you can do. But <laughs> that was, like, one thing I wish I would have looked at sooner to try to get some idea of what's going on.
1: That's about all I got.
0: No, that was good. Good stuff.
1: So. I will tell you, on the coffee thing, you guys should try this. Uh, I was going to bring it up earlier and I forgot. Uh, the one thing we've started doing is we are roasting our own coffee now. Oh, you should try it. You can do it in your air fryer. Really? Oh, yeah. So basically I went to my buddy's, a coffee, total coffee nerd. And let's say he's roasted coffee forever. Like he's, he won coffee review and roaster of the year. And basically he turned me on to where he orders his beans from. And he's like, yeah, just order beans and roast them up. And, uh, it's half as much. It's like really good coffee for half as much as you'd normally buy it because it's not roasted. But mm. uh, it's fun. It's fun to try, mess around with. You can. I'm going to go a little darker today. Right. And I'm going to go a little lighter today. But uh, yeah, if you haven't tried How long
3: does it typically take?
1: I throw it in the air fryer for like 20 minutes. Oh, that's not long at all. Yeah, and then you just grind it up. Or you can do it in the oven. Like there's certain temperatures. If you just Google it, there's certain temperatures you need to hit for certain mm. roasts. Right, right to hobby uh, kind of yeah. yeah and it's like ah if i screw it up i screwed up a pound of coffee you know i've wasted five bucks on worse <laughs> no <laughs> doubt but it's no fun d- Try no it. it's like, oh here we got this taste out of it we got that taste out of it you know so i am no i am not him but again, <coughs> he has thousands of hours into it so he can just sit there and listen to beans and be like oh, okay they're right here <laughs> Just talking to whisperer yeah exactly Bean whisperer did you hear that that was the second pop no I didn't notice that but yeah so I got nothing uh, yeah.
0: that's cool though I never thought about actually doing that
1: um, oh it's fun yeah it's just something to you can do hell my wife's done it in a cast iron pan you just sit there and stir beans until they're a certain color you know however I want to do it but no that's cool alright guys well, I'm gonna get ready to go squat squat
0: alright catch you later i will see you Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio